to use the the teams tonight, and uh, so I'll have you. Let's see. Let's do uh, men would be group one, ladies would be group two, and teenagers would be group three. And um, let's start by group one, Psalm 104. Group two, Romans 11. And group three, the book of Jude. All right, so let's go all the way back to, as my music teacher used to say, back to the beginning and cover everything that we have, you know, in summary, everything that we've looked at. First of all, Christian doctrine is the foundational teachings upon which all of Christianity is built as given to us in the Bible. Three reasons why we should be students of Bible doctrine. Number one, Bible doctrine changes your life. And I, I, don't, I don't know how to emphasize anymore that Bible doctrine, as you read it, as you learn it, it changes your life without knowing your life is being changed. Let me use, I know I use nutrition examples. Let me, let me, well, letter C as nourishes you, but, but let me, um, let me use a water example. All right. It's no secret that, uh, I have a, a habit of drinking a lot of diet Coke and, um, I have modified that behavior in that, uh, now, and I still drink a lot, but, but in general, but I drink water and ice water all day long, and uh, and then around supper time, depending on what's going on that day, uh, then I allow myself to drink Diet Coke. So all day long, I'm drinking, I'm not kidding you, I could go through easily a, uh, a gallon of, of water in a day, and uh, just by taking it when I'm thirsty, drinking, I drink a lot, and I always have. Um, and just switching over from Diet Coke to water, uh, has has changed it changed how I feel uh, it it slims me down I know you can't well hey I had one of the fellows today say you've lost weight and I said you're my best friend thank you um, so I'm just saying drinking drinking water uh, instead of soda um, it it changes me without re- me realizing I'm being changed let me tell you if you will simply read I'm not asking you to be a, a six hour a day Bible student if you will just get your hands on some doctrinal writing, not something deep that where it strains your brain, but just something simply written, and just read two pages of it every day, it changes your life without you even knowing that you're being changed. And so Bible doctrine changes your life. Bible doctrine keeps you and the people you love on the right path, 1 Timothy 4.16. Bible doctrine nourishes you, 1 Timothy 4.6. Then we said theology is the study of God. That's the meaning of the word, and that is the, the, mean, the, the definition of the science. Theology is the study of God. The, um, did I ever tell you this? Um, in, in, uh, it seems like I might have, but uh, I first came home. Uh, I graduated, we got married, we lived at, in uh, Hammond, Indiana for two years. We came back, and six weeks from the time we came home to, to our first service, six weeks. And so during that time, somewhere in there, uh, Shirley Smith's parents had a, was it a birthday or an anniversary? I forget. 
anniversary anniversary party there. Have you ever been to Aunt Shirley's house there in Holmes, right there on the farm? And so we, Amy and I, went, and uh, we're out in the, in the uh, yard there with a bunch of people I didn't know. And and so this guy starts making conversation with me. And this is way too long a story for it's going to be a let me down ending here. But theology reminded me of this. And he said, uh, you know, hey, well, you know what? I got told him I uh, just got out of college. And what did you study? And I said, uh, theology. And he starts talking about rocks. He said, yeah, I enjoy rocks. And it's something he saw on the you know, National Geographic channel. And I'm, I'm going, what? And finally, after he talked for about five minutes, I said, you thought I said geology. He said, yeah. I said, I said theology. And he said, oh, and he just walked away. He had nothing to tell me about theology, but theology is the study of God. The Bible is the sole authority for every Christian's study of God. Now, if this is the only church you've ever been to, that might sound like such a basic statement. Of course, the Bible is the sole authority. But I tell you, there are a lot of groups out there that call themselves church that do not agree that the Bible is the sole authority. Uh, there are a lot. There, it's the Bible plus the Bible plus the, what the church says. The Bible plus human reasoning. The Bible, and uh, I got to tell you, there's there's at least a half a dozen things that uh, are are different groups believe the Bible plus this. But uh, we believe and practice that the Bible is the sole authority for every Christian's study of God. Systematic theology is a system of studying God by organizing all of the basic doctrines of the Bible into all the, all the doctrines of the Bible into basic categories. Now, we started with the existence of God, and then we went and we've been on ever since the attributes of God. We divided the attributes of God into two categories, the non-transferable attributes, that's attributes that cannot be shared by God with his creation, and then the transferable attributes. Those are attributes that can be shared and are shared by God with his creation. The non-transferable attributes, A, God is a spirit. God is invisible. God is one. And a doctrine there called the unity of God. And that is, that's so much deeper. All these things are so much deeper than we have covered. But we give you, we give you just the basics here. And uh, just the beginnings, the baby steps. If you want to go deeper, that's, that's great. But uh, God is perfect, God is eternal, God is a trinity, God is self-existent, God is infinite, God is omniscient, God is omnipotent, God is omnipresent, God is immutable, God is incomprehensible, God is light, God is glorious, God is unique. Those are the non-transferable attributes of God. And now we have the transferable attributes of God. And that is that at those attributes of God which can be transferred to his creatures, all right? And we, here's what we have discussed so far. First of all, God is life. God is true. God is good. And then last week we talked about God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. Now tonight we're going to add two more to that. And uh, number one, two, number seven, or letter G, God is wise. God is wise. Now, 
Ooh, I just realized I made a big mistake. Well, I'll get to that when I get to it. Um, God is wise. Um, in addition to being omniscient, that is, having all knowledge, God knows perfectly and precisely how to apply all knowledge. That's what wisdom is. So God not only knows all the facts. You ever knew somebody that knew, knew a lot of facts, but they didn't know how to apply them? We grew up with a girl. Her name was Katie, a redheaded girl. She lived down the road, and uh, she was brilliant. But, you know, she couldn't comb her own hair. <laughs> I mean, she, and uh, I had a cousin who was just, he, he just, he could put it, he could make it plain. And uh, he said about Katie one time, Katie's book smart, but she ain't people smart. And uh, that's, that's sort of the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is, is great, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, diminish the importance of knowledge at all, but knowledge without wisdom means you know a bunch of stuff, but you don't know what to do with it. All right? So, having all knowledge, God knows perfectly and precisely how to apply all knowledge. So God not only knows your problem, he knows what to do about it. He knows how to fix it. Here's something where we really lack in our faith in God. We think because God doesn't live here, he doesn't really know how to fix your problem. Because he lives up there somewhere. But wisdom means, oh yeah, he knows your problem, he knows the solution, and he knows exactly what it takes to fix it. He is all wise. A lot of times we get hung up on that because deep in our hearts we know the next move is ours and we don't want to make it. We know there's something we have to fix. We need to humble ourselves or we need to to remove something from our lives. And we don't want to do that hard thing. Excuse me. We don't want to do that hard thing. So we that's when we take this position of, well, God doesn't live here. Yeah, Jesus lived on the earth, but that was 2,000 years ago. And he doesn't know. God is all wise. He knows every problem and how to fix it. He knows what needs to be done, and he knows how it needs to be done. Okay, let's, let's keep going. Let, I want to do this tonight, all right? Um, uh, let me move to what I, the mistake I made. I'm looking at the next point, which is God is sovereign. Okay, that was point two, or point two tonight, point eight, I think, altogether. And I failed to include in my outline here the proof texts. And to me, that's like, you know... <laughs> Dissecting a frog without bringing a frog. So um, let's let's leave that off for next week. I don't want to cover sovereign without having the scripture to go with it. Let's focus all of our attention tonight on this idea of God being wise because uh, there is a need. There are many needs in our church, but there's a specific need in our church. Um, there's 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 two sisters who sit here every Sunday night, and they are not here tonight. And it's because of a problem that is beyond their control. It's nothing we have done. 
but just something that has crept into their family that is preventing them from from being in church. And um, here's where God is wise applies. He knows what to do about it. He knew this thing was going to happen before it happened. He knows how to fix it. So instead of moving on to sovereign, let's stick with wise. And let's end tonight by just uniting in prayer and giving them to the Lord. Uh, and so, and I may say more about that before we go to prayer. But let's think about that. And, and you don't have to just think about that problem. You can think about your problem. I'm sure you have some things going on. That you say, man, this is a problem and I need God's help. But can you admit to yourself that there's something in your sinful flesh that says, I'm not real sure God knows what to do about this. You know, because this has to do with, you know, this has to do with technology. And what does God know about technology? That's a modern invention. He's an old God. I mean, you say, that's crazy to think like that. To some degree, we all think like that about God. What does he know about this? He knows everything about everything. He knows how to fix it. He knows how to solve it. He is all wise, and that's what all wise means. He knows what must be done. So let's, let's uh, hang on this for a little bit, all right? In addition to being omniscient, that is, having all knowledge, God knows perfectly and precisely how to apply all knowledge. And why and when? God is wisdom, and he is the source of all wisdom. Let me give you the, the uh, dictionary definition of wisdom. It means having the power of discerning and judging correctly or of discriminating between what is true and what is false, between what is fit and proper and what is improper, discreet and judicious in the use or applications of knowledge, choosing laudable ends and the best means to accomplish them. All righty. Now let's look at our proof text for God is wise. Group number one, you're in Psalm 104. And let's read verse 24. Psalm 104, verse 24. And let's read it, man. Ready? O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. All righty. Group number two, ladies, Romans chapter 11 and verse number 33. Romans 11, 33. I'll be reading it with you so that if someone is uh, listening to recording of this, they can hear the scripture. Romans eleven thirty-three. Ready? Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And then... Teenagers, group number three, you're in the book of Jude, Jude 24 and 25. You're going to read both those verses. And uh, this is a word of prayer. This is the, the, the apostle Jude, essentially, this is the way I characterize it, closing out the church age in a word of prayer. And so Jude 24 and 25, ready? Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. All righty, I'm going to read you first the words of Harold Wilmington, one of the men whose systematic theology we are using as a guide. He says, God's wisdom 
is his ability to rightly apply all his knowledge in regards to the good of his creatures. And then John Dagg, and I I love this. This is a little longer than the previous one, but I want you to listen carefully. John Dagg says, Knowledge and wisdom, though often confounded or confused by careless thinkers, are different. Wisdom always has respect to action. All right, time out. Meaning that knowledge might know what makes a combustible engine run. Wisdom knows what to do about it if it's not running. That's the difference. So when he says that uh, wisdom always has respect to action. Look at the book of Proverbs. Don't turn there now, but the book of Proverbs, we all know, is the book of wisdom. And what are you reading about there? You're reading about people's actions. The fool does this. The wise man does this. The sluggard does this. And the just man does this. Why? Why? It's a book of actions. Because wisdom is is always, as he says, wisdom always has respect to action. Wisdom is regarded as consisting in the selection of the best end of action and of the adoption of the best means for the accomplishment of this end. Now, he's a He's, a, he's a, an eloquent writer. Don't get lost in the eloquence. Let me repeat that. Wisdom is regarded as consisting... Eloquent, that's speaking, isn't it? Anyway, wisdom is regarded as consisting in the selection of the best end of action and of the adoption of the best means for the accomplishment of this end. God is infinitely wise... Because he selects the best possible end of action. So God's ends, God's goals, God's purposes are the absolute best. We don't agree in our finite wisdom. Because we think the most important thing is, you know, wealth and health and happiness. Having fun, being popular. Those are not God's ends for us or for the universe. So clearly God doesn't know what he's doing. Obviously I'm talking sarcastically. But God is infinitely wise because he selects the best possible end of action. Let me stop again and say that this is part of what keeps us from fully surrendering to God's will. Because we think, I, can, I, can I confess something? Total timeout right here. I have gotten so used to looking through you because I can't see you that I just realize I'm doing it by habit. And so now I'm making eye contact. I'm looking into your soul. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that, but I... I'm I'm transitioning between looking at the crowd because that's what I've been doing for a couple of years and looking into your eyes, which is what I've grown up doing as I as I've uh, spoken. But now I can see you again. 
That's how drastic the change is. But uh, anyway, so where was I? Oh, that's one thing that keeps us from surrendering to God's will. We think that God's purposes, God's ends, are not as good as ours. He doesn't know what I need as well as I know what I need. You know, how many young men have expressed over the years to me that I don't want to yield and surrender to God's will for whom I'm, who I'm going to marry because who's God going to stick me with? And vice versa for the, for the young lady. Who's God, who's God going to stick me with? And um, not understanding, or same thing with, with where to, what to do with my life. If I surrender to God's will for my life, he's going to call me to be a missionary, and he's going to send me to where? Africa. Everybody knows. That's the great fear. He's going to call me to be a missionary. He's going to send me to Africa. Not knowing that God knows better than you and I know what is the proper ends for our life because God is all wise, all right? So God is infinitely wise because he selects the best possible end of action. God is infinitely wise because he adopts the best possible means for the accomplishment of the end which he has in view. That's what Mr. John L. Dagg says. Here's how Mr. Joe J. Vasek would say it. God knows where we need to go, and he knows the best way to get there. That's what he's saying right there. The wisdom of God is an unfathomable, <laughs> unfathomable deep. It should fill us with joy that infinite wisdom guides the affairs of the world. God knows what needs to be done, and he knows how to do it. That is the wisdom of God. He is infinitely wise. So first of all, let me ask you about your problem tonight. The message is done. We're not going to review because I want to, I want to get to the application of this. What is your... <laughs> that started to sound really smart, Alec. What is your problem? <laughs> Identify your problem. Identify it in your mind. All right. Do you think God knows how to fix it? What if God's solution doesn't match your solution? Are you still going to yield to his solution? It's a real shallow Christianity that, that only wants God's will if it lines up with ours. I only pray if you ever have those, we all have weasel people in our life. They only ask permission when they know you're going to approve it. Yeah. When they avoid you, you know they're up to something that they know that you're not going to approve of. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All the parents have their hands raised. Yeah. There's a lot of weasel, a lot of us are weasel Christians when it comes to prayer. 
We yield to God when we think his will is going to line up with ours. Do you want God's will even if it's very different from yours? You know what I've been praying very consistently about and every time as I go through, I have a very precise system of of prayer as I pray several times a day, a couple of those times on location. God, if you want this, we'll do it. I'm praying for this, but if you want this, we'll do it. And uh, that's, I, I believe that's the way to pray. We want your will. We, you are all wise. You know, it's, it's a little confusing to me. And, and there's so much about prayer that I do not understand. Questions that, that have yet to be answered when it comes to prayer. But when we talk about changing God's mind, I don't even know if that's a legitimate way to talk about prayer. I don't know. Because how could I possibly want my will over God's will when he's all wise and I'm not? So I want to beg him not To do what I want done unless it lines up with what he wants done. You know what I believe supplication is? I'm going to wrap this up. You know what I believe supplication is? I believe the definition, if I understand it, everything I've read and studied about supplication, I believe is, is not us going to prayer until we get God to do it our way. I believe it's going to God in prayer until we finally break through and God gets us to think his way. And God says, now you're thinking like me. Now we're ready to get some stuff done. God is all wise. Now, true, sometimes he withholds an answer until he finds out how bad you want it. And so you beg him for some stuff. But it's, it's never about getting God to reconsider and say, you know what, you're right. You do need a Hummer. There it is in your driveway. That's not what prayer is. Whatever has to be done in our perseverance in prayer, it's to break through our own foolishness and stubbornness. So that the light finally comes on and we go, oh, I see what God's doing here. All right. So.